Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Pastor Derek Dunn, lead pastor of City Harvest Church, Orange County. To find out more about City Harvest or Pastor Derek, please visit chcus.org or derekdunn.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform at chcus and derekdunnoc. Awesome, we're glad you're here, and today we're going to start a new series. I'm starting a series called Revival Series, and the title of my message today is Revival Times. And so if you've been following the news and what's happening, I I think it's right on time. Um, You're seeing different outbursts and outbreaks in different parts of the world and the country. And so we want to talk about what revival is, and uh, we're going to look at some of the, the past revivals and where we're at today, all right? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. What a wonderful time I praise and worship, Lord. We thank you, God, as we put aside, God, every tiredness, every distraction, we set our our focus upon you, God, that you would speak to us today, that like the children of Issachar will have understanding of the times and seasons, Lord, and know what we need to do. And so we just pray, bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Tell your neighbor, get ready for the word. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalm 85, verse 6, and David prays this. He says, will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. What does he say? Will you not revive us again? And we talk of the word revival. It comes from the word vive, to have vive, to have life. And uh, he's asking, should we not see that happening again? And so many times in the church, and especially in our day, the church, we're in need of revival. We're in need of the life of God uh, filling the church and, 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 and that much of the church today, we don't embrace the word of God. We don't hunger for the presence of God. You know, if it's not, we don't have you in and out in 55 minutes, that's too long. It's too much for my day. Come on, I got a lunch appointment. I got a beach appointment. I got, are you here? And, uh, but sometimes, you know, to, to, to have a move of God, it takes a little bit longer time. Well, we're not concerned about that. Of course, we don't want to waste time. Don't worry. I'm going to get you out, all right? But, uh, so we get nervous. But, but, but we need to be hungry up for engaging the presence of God. Because revival starts with the church. Revival is not for the world. It's for the church. The effects of revival affect the world. But sometimes we're praying, God, revival, the world needs a revival. The world's, world's, you know, going to hell. And we talk about the world. Oh, did you see what happened at the Grammys? And all this stuff going on, the unholy item and all this stuff going on. And God, we need a revival. God, we need to save these people. But, but that's, that's not scriptural. How is God going to impact the world? He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through me. He's going to do it through a church that is revived. And so as we look at the largest, uh, you know, uh, revivals and things that have happened in the past, one of them we can find in the Word of God, which is in the, in the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was one of the wickedest places on earth. And uh, Nineveh, God was going to judge Nineveh. We know the story. If you've been in children's church and grew up, you know, we learn about Jonah in the belly of the whale. <laughs> but many times we focus on Jonah, but we don't focus on the focus of the whole story. But Nineveh was a, was a very dark place. It was a very um, uh, wicked place. And the Bible says in, in Jonah that, that the wickedness reached a high degree. One translation said, and its wickedness reached the nostrils of God. And so, you know, darkness and sin, it, it's, it, it, sins, it stinks. You see people who are in darkness, what, it, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a smell, it's dirty that's there to it. And what does it say? It came up and it got the attention of God. But rather than God coming and wanting to destroy it, God wanted to send mercy. 
God wanted to, 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 to begin to let the people know that if they would repent and turn from their wicked ways, that God would begin to move. And so God begins to, to, to move on, on uh, Jonah. But Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because Nineveh is, is, is the enemy of his people. Nineveh, the, the people there, they're from Assyria, and they're very cruel. History tells us they would take their captives and they would, uh, they would take the children and burn the children. They would, they would, you know, had no grace for anyone. And they would, even as they murdered people, they would pull their skin off. So it was a very dark culture. Uh, there was a lot of murder. They were, it was cold-blooded. And so Nineveh, you know, when, when God says he's going to judge it, Jonah's like, okay, fine. Yes, Lord. Let's, let's see vindication, you know. And, and sometimes that can be us in the church also. We're looking. We say, well, we love the world. We desire that everyone might be saved. But what are we looking? We're, we're looking for God to judge them so that, look, God can take care and let them see that we were right and they were wrong. Let them see that the, the favor of God's on us and, and not on, on those that are in sin. And we can come with the wrong focus. We can come with the wrong heart. And so revival has to do with the heart. We have to deal with our hearts. God had to deal with Jonah's heart. Now let's talk about Nineveh. Nineveh was a huge city uh, historically, uh, a city of about one million people in, in Syria. It was probably about the size, a little bit uh, bigger than, uh, than San Francisco as far as the space that was there. It was the capital of Assyria, which was the, the main nation that, that was ruling and conquering before Babylon came uh, into focus. It would probably take about three days to walk through the whole city. So it was not a small place. The Ninevites lived large. They had all the best food. They had all the best fashion. They had all the exotic entertainment. There was perversion there. It was a very fleshly city. And Assyria ruled the world for 200 years. They were the strongest military power until Babylon took over. So God's given Nineveh one last chance. And he tells Jonah, he says, I want you to go there, Jonah, and I want you to go and I want you to begin to tell them that they have to repent, that they're in sin or judgment is going to come. And so Jonah says, I'm not going there, God. Destroy them. I don't want anything to do with these Ninevites. You know, because it's a wicked place. So he gets on the boat, and what does he do? He wants to board the boat and go in the opposite direction. He's like, I don't want anything to do with these people. So we know the story. He gets on the boat. He wants to get as far as he can from Nineveh. And what happens? There's a huge storm that comes up. There are sailors that are there that are not novices. They say, I've never seen a storm like this. And so Jonah says, I'm the cause of the storm. Throw me out. And we know what happens. God causes a, a, a fish to come and to, to, to eat him up. And he's in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. And God is dealing with his heart. Why did God allow Jonah to be, to be swallowed by the fish? Because God wanted to begin to chasten Jonah. God wanted Jonah to begin to change his heart. He wanted to have that, that disciplining of Jonah. The same reason God allows us to sometimes go through some situations. I met some Christians that they seem like they're in the belly of the whale. Come on, the business isn't happening, relationships not happening, there's not much activity. Why? Because God's wanting to get our attention. God's wanting to deal with our heart. Now, some people think, well, God wouldn't do that. But the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews 12, verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Well, God loves me so much, he wouldn't do that. How do you know you're really loved? Because he disciplines you. The Bible says you spare the, the rod, you spoil your child. 
If you love your child, you're going to discipline them. I'm not talking about abusing them. But you discipline. Why? So they don't go crazy. Because they got to learn the world don't revolve around them. The problem we have in our world is we got a lot of adults that never were disciplined that thinks the world revolves around them. They think everything's about them. And uh, that, that causes problems in marriages. If, if you're a man that thinks that way, you're going to have a problem. And if you're a woman, you're going to have a lot of problems too. All right. And so that's another message. But, but God chastens those that, that he loves. And, and so uh, God begins to chasten him because why is God dealing in our lives? God wants to prepare us for revival. God wants to prepare us to carry his glory. God wants to prepare us to have the right heart and to have the right mind in all that we do. And so God is more interested in our character than our comfort. He's wanting to make us more like Jesus. Are you here? And so there's times that God begins to chasten us. And so uh, if you have a great work to do and, and God's got a call, you wonder why you've got storms in your life. Come on. Because God is beginning to grow your faith. Because God is beginning to work under you. How many know when everything's comfortable and nothing's happening, come on, we usually, uh, we're not so focused on moving forward. Come on, some of us are still trying to get off that COVID weight. Because when there's no activity, what are we doing? We're just sitting around in our comfort zone. Are you here? And so God, God's working in us. And so Jonah had a great work ahead. Jonah was a great prophet, but Jonah didn't have the right heart. He didn't have the right attitude. So God is dealing with his church. God, the Bible says judgment comes to the house of God first before it comes to the world because God is wanting to deal with us. Now, not to break us, but to make us. What is he wanting to do? That we begin to be, become dependent on him. How many know when pressure comes upon you, what's in you comes out? Some of us, when pressure comes upon us, our vocabulary changes. <laughs> Come on. Those words that we haven't been using in a while start coming out. You know, when, when pressure comes upon us, negativity is there. We find out, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Get the message last week. We get into the victim mindset and become a victim instead of a victor. And we're dealing with these things. So God is working in us. It's a process that's working. We're all a work in process. None of us have arrived. But why? What's the purpose? So that we can carry revival. Yes. Jonah 3 and verse 4. Let's look at it here. It says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message. Wow. And the great, from the greatest to the least of thee, they decided to go without food. And to wear sackcloth to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from the throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in sackcloth and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent a decree throughout the city saying, No one, not even the animals, may eat or drink anything at all. Everyone is required to wear sackcloth and to pray earnestly to God. Everyone must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even God will have pity on us and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw that they had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and didn't carry out the destruction that had threatened. What a spiritual awakening. As, as, as Jonah has an encounter with God, as Jonah is dealing with his pride, his rebellion, come on, he comes in with the word of the Lord, and as he begins to speak the word of the Lord, people listen. Come on, people listen. And they repented. 
And so what should have been the reaction as an entire city begins to turn back to God? It, it should have been something that was exciting. But Jonah wasn't excited. He wasn't excited that the people believed God's message. He was upset. And so we, we have to deal with our heart, and we're going to talk a little bit, a, a bit more about that. But we need to understand that revival is for the church. Yeah. How does the world experience salvation? Through, through evangelism. Amen. But a church that's not revived will never be evangelizing. We've got we've to be alive in our hearts where what we're wanting to see people's lives change, where what we're praying for them, where what we're believing God that he's called us. Who, what's the Nineveh that God has called you to? What's the place that God has called you to? Well, I don't really want to do it. I don't want to share it at my school. I don't want to talk at my work. You know, I just go there to work, make money, and I keep church separate and religion separate. Who, who wears that in the Bible? And so we come up with all these reasons. Where's the place that God has called us to? A pastor came to, to C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher, and said this. He said, I don't understand it. Whenever I preach, no one comes to Christ. So Spurgeon asked him a question. He said, do you expect people to come to Christ every time you preach? And this man answered, no, I don't. He said, no wonder no one's getting saved. Come on, we, we want to expect people to hear the word of the news, it, it, word, the word of the Lord. If the gospel is the good news, come on, let's believe people will respond to the good news. Even as a word of correction comes, that the fear of God will hit the hearts of people and will see transformation like Nineveh. Well, people say, "Whoa, am I? I'm, I'm sinning," and they want to come before God and pray and say, "God, forgive us for our wickedness." And, and God is faithful to forgive. So God was working in Jonah, and he, he began to move in his heart and move in his, in his life. And as he began to preach, an awakening began to happen in his life that began to bring evangelism and began to bring an awakening in the city. We look at history, and we've seen four spiritual awakenings, or what we would call four great awakenings that history has. The first happened in the 1700s, and it was uh, uh, through men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, in just two years of revival from 1740 to 1742, some 25,000 to 50,000 people were added to the churches in New England. Now, again, New England is over in New York, all those Maine, all those states. I'm not talking about England, the New England. It was an American revival that, that happened here. Out of a population of 300,000 people, they estimate almost 50,000 people came to the Lord. Someone say Revival. Not because of, of, of revival hitting the street, but because of revival in God's people where people began to evangelize. And as they carried the presence of God, conviction came on the hearts of the people. The second great awakening was from 1790 to 1840, and it was led by many men. But uh, Charles Finney, which many of us, if you study church history, he, he was one of the leaders in that movement. And this is where what we would call the wild, wild west was prevalent. Everybody, were, they were greedy. It's the gold rush. Everyone's wanting to move out to the West. And, and what happened? They, they move out in there. Because of the wilderness, what happens? They come out where there's, the, the cities are not so big, and there's a lot of sexual immorality. There's prostitution that's happening. Sexual sins rampant. And, and people are killing each other. 
you know, they take, they're, they're lawless. They take the law in their own hand. You know, it's the cowboy. If you mess with me or I had a little bit too much to drink and I get upset with you, bang, bang. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's just the way that things were. It was, it was not much order that's happening. And in the midst of this, God begins to revive his people. And camp meetings started happening where people would come and camp together around the fires and they would have revival meetings. Crowds as high as 15,000 would gather for several days and an incredible figure because the population was scant at that time. Thousands came to the faith, more than 10,000 people in Kentucky alone between 1800 and 1803. And even it said that Abraham Lincoln was a part of those meetings and was impacted greatly through them. We see historically the great awakening that happened. Uh, the third one was from 1857 to 1859. And this revival was unique. It came through in New York through a 48-year-old businessman named Jeremiah Lantfer. He began to pray on Fulton Street in New York and began to pray and began to travail for his city. And slowly, the prayer meeting began to explode. Other Christians started coming to the prayer meeting and beginning to pray for the city. And as the prayer meeting began to grow, what happened? All of a sudden, a, a, a awakening began to come on the church there. Prayer meetings broke out all over New York, filling theaters and Broadway. Uh, within six months, they say 10,000 people gathered daily for prayer throughout New York City. And it's reported that 50,000 New Yorkers were converted just from the month of March to the month of May. Come on, give the Lord a shout for that. Amen. There were 10,000 additions to church membership weekly. During the single year, the number of reported conversions throughout the country reached an average of 50,000 a week and lasted for a couple of years. They estimate that more than one million people came to Christ in that brief period. And out of that move of God came a revival, came a, a shoe salesman, a man named D.L. Moody, who started the Moody Press, who put Bibles in the hands of people and was, was personally responsible for winning thousands to Jesus Christ. A simple layman decided to pray, and what happened? God began to pour out his spirit upon him. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's time for a revival. And finally, the fourth great awakening happened not far from here. It was the Jesus movement. This happened in the 1960s. We should get excited. Come on, this is our, our part of the country. Now, in the 1960s, some of us were not there. We're probably, if you're grandparents, you might have been around back then. But most of us are not there. We're, we're the next generation that, that was a part of it. But it was very dark in the 60s. The country's in turmoil. We're having the uh, bomb drills in classrooms all the time. The Cuban Missile Crisis is going on. And, and everyone's worried about that we're on the brink of a nuclear confrontation. President Kennedy was assassinated. His, his brother Bobby Kennedy's assassinated. It was the time of, of racial disharmony and, and it was the age of Martin Luther King and he was assassinated and all of these things are going on. The Vietnam War was going on and, and, and no one saw an end to the war. It was the time where we saw Watergate happening and we know what happened where corruption was happening in governments. Kids are rebelling against society. They're turning to drugs, they're turning to sex, they're turning to rock and roll. It's a dark time in our country. The, the slogan of the day was this, 
Turn on, tune in, and drop out. Turn on, tune in, and drop out. And the church by large was not effective in reaching the world. But what began to happen, there was a revival that began to happen. In the midst of this, the, 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 the church began to get burdened for those that were be becoming lost and began to pray for a move of God. During this time, John Lennon had a famous speech and he said that the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. That was his quotation, and many had to agree with him, especially the young people. And, and, and in 1966, Time Magazine did a cover story, said, is God dead? Come on, that's a dark period of time. Is God dead? And there were liberal theologians who announced, indeed he was. But the church began to pray, and what happened? There was a man named Chuck Smith, not very far from us here, and his wife Kay, who began to pray and began to believe God for a move of God. And God brought a hippie to his church, a man named Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie Frisbee came to his church. He was a hippie. He got radically saved, and he began to preach to the hippies. They would have prayer meetings on the, on the beaches, and thousands of hippies were coming, getting rid of their drugs, getting out of addiction, getting out of sexual morality, come on, and coming to Jesus. And thousands and thousands of young people came to Christ. Come on, it's time for another great awakening. Come on. That was 40 years ago. What about today when Cindy Jacobs came to our church? She prophesied. She said, the Jesus movement is coming to Orange County. Come on. It's time for another Jesus movement. We need another spiritual awakening in America. But how is it going to come? It's going to come through churches. It's going to be made up of individuals who are crying out to God, praying for God, not condemning the world, but saying, God, we need your glory. We need your power. We need your presence, God. We need blind eyes to open. We need ears when we pray to open. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You can't guilt anyone into salvation. People have tried. It doesn't work. You can't guilt people into giving. People won't give out a compulsion. Yeah. You, you, you can't change the heart of a person, but God can take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. God can take the most stingy person and make them the most generous person. God can make the most stiff man. You know, we have men's meeting and everyone's hello. But what happened when the presence of God comes, everybody's hugging each other after the meeting. Come on, we're having bromances going on. <laughs> because God begins to move in people's hearts. Psalm 85 or 6, and I believe this is the cry. This is the cry of Pastor Susan, myself, the leaders, and I believe for us as, as City Harvest Church, that you, God, would you not revive us again? Yeah. Will not your people, that your people may rejoice in you? The prophet Habakkuk said it this way in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. He said, I have heard all about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe by the amazing things you have done. In this time of our deep need, begin again to help us as you did in years gone by. Show us your power to save us. And in your anger, remember mercy. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Amen. How badly do we need revival? I don't think revival is an option. The world is demanding for revival. The world is demanding for a move of God. People don't want religion. They want the real. If it's not real and we preach the word and that's not real, people don't want that. We want the reality of God. But Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is moving in the earth. 
And God says he will show himself strong. As we preach the word with boldness, he will confirm it with signs and wonders. But how badly do we want a revival? How badly are we wanting to see our cities change? How badly are we wanting our schools to be impacted, our, our workplace? How badly are we wanting, I'm, I'm tired of hearing of young people ODing on drugs. The borders are open and we have all the drugs and opioids coming in and people trying to escape from life and struggling from, from addiction under pressure and, and, and don't know what to do, just trying to escape and medicate themselves from life. Come on, not just middle-aged people, but people that are young. People are in high school, people are in middle school. When my daughters were in the Christian school that they went to, in elementary school, a girl, her boyfriend got her on drugs and she overdosed on meth. A month later, the boyfriend overdosed. What a tragedy in a Christian school. And I don't blame the school. Sometimes, you know, when the secular schools kick kids out, they go to the Christian schools because the only ones will take them. I'm not saying that. But come on, where's the power of God to set people free? Where's the power of God to move in the hearts of people? What really is revival? A few things, uh, what revival is. A few statements that I think paint the picture. Revival is a community saturated with God. I love that. One person said revival is an invasion from heaven. Richard Owen Roberts said this, revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. A.W. Tozer defined revival as that which changes the moral climate of a community. That's what revival does. Revival is nothing less and it's nothing, it's, it's nothing new than what? Obedience to God. Having a passion for God, growing in our love for God, growing in our pursuit from God, encountering God and saying, God, we will be obedient to you. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Whatever the cost, come on, we're willing to pay the price. Come on, give the Lord a shout. But revival is a church word. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. Revival starts with the church. It affects the world. The world doesn't need revival. The world needs evangelism. But it happens through a church that's revived. Jesus called us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. C.H. Spurgeon defined revival this way. He said this, To be revived is a blessing which can only be enjoyed by those who have some degree of life. Those who have no spiritual life are not and cannot be in the strictest sense of the term subjects of revival. A true revival is to be looked for in the church of God. Thus revival is for believers only. Evangelism is for non-believers. Revival is for believers. Are you here? We live in a nation where, you know, we've been called a Christian nation. People don't like that phrase now. But it's basically the place that people are like almost Christian. You ask people, do you believe in God? Yeah, of course I believe in God. But they have no relationship with God. They're not living for God. But guess what? Even the, the, the devil believes in God. But that doesn't mean he's saved. There's no such thing as an almost Christian. Come on. How many know you can't be almost pregnant? You either are or you're not. And so we have to understand that, that we either are something or we're not. Paul talked to King uh, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. He was preaching the gospel for him. And he was so moved by the message. In Acts 26, verse 28, he said this, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost, but he didn't do it. He wasn't a Christian. 
And sometimes we've got to come to that place where we're willing to give it all for Jesus. You know, it requires us laying down things in our life and surrendering to Jesus. It's an ongoing process in our life. But America needs to hear the gospel. If we aren't on fire, we're not going to be able to share the gospel with others. We've got to preach the message that he's given to us. That the Bible is God's word. That there's only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. Jonah's book does not end with chapter 3, but it ends with chapter 4. If I was Jonah, I would have taken out the last chapter. Because it doesn't paint him in a good light. Jonah himself wrote this, but Jonah needed a spiritual awakening. It was breaking out. What was his result? He was mad. He was angry with God. In Jonah 4 verse 1, he said the change of plans upset Jonah. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. He said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I knew how easily you could cancel your plans of destroying these people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive because nothing I predicted is going to happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah was angry for God. Why? He preached with power. He preached with anointing. And guess what? People listened. And when they listened, they repented. And guess what? God swayed his judgment. But sometimes as a church, we can be like Jonah. Oh, the wages of sin is death. We're just wanting it to happen. So we can say, ha, 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 I told you so. We almost rejoice when bad things happen. We almost rejoice when judgment happens because it makes us feel righteous. That was how the Pharisees were. Jesus said you cause people to be, become, you know, uh, twi- put burdens on their neck and throw them into the sea and don't even ask them and try to help them. And so we can be there, you know, but, well, I'm a Christian. I'm blessing my coming, blessing my, my, my going, and you're not. And we can have this self-righteous attitude. Many times the church is known for what we're against rather than what we're for. And God has to work in our hearts. Jonah was fuming. He's burning with anger. He's upset. I'm a prophet, but what I prophesied didn't happen. Prophecy is conditional. Judgment is conditional. And because of they repented, he instead of being happy and rejoicing, he was angry. He was preoccupied with himself. How many Christians we can be so preoccupied with ourselves? Even after being in the belly of the whale, God dealing with him for three days, he still was a work in progress. He still had to deal with his pride. What was the issue? That he was, he was uh, upset with, with God because God didn't perform what he said he was going to do. And God had mercy. He didn't have the heart of God. And church, we need to have the heart of God. If we want to win our world, they need to see Jesus. They need to see God's heart through our life. Are you here? People worry about uh, about, uh, about new believers changing not quickly enough. Get saved, you got to get everything together. But I don't really worry about about new believers, excuse me, changing. I'm more concerned about old converts who stop changing. Where they're no longer growing spiritually. I put this up for you. The moment you cease to move forward as a Christian, you're going backward. It doesn't mean we're moving back to old vices like immorality, drugs, or drinking, or cussing, even though that can happen. 
But where are we moving back? We're, we're placing those things with what? Pride, backbiting, gossip, bitterness, victimization. We talked about that last week. We're what? Instead of moving forward, what are we doing? We're angry with God because things aren't happening the way. Why do we get angry with God? Maybe he didn't answer our prayers the way we thought he would. Maybe things didn't turn out in our life how we'd hoped they'd turn out. Or we're at a place that we thought we would be farther along by this time. Or maybe God blessed someone else and we're jealous of their blessing. Why did sister so-and-so get married to so-and-so? I've been believing longer than she has. Why did so-and-so get promoted and I didn't get promoted? I've been a tither longer. How come so-and-so's a leader in church and, you know, they got promoted and I didn't get promoted? I've been serving more faithful. And God begins to highlight all these issues and I'm preaching to myself. We all have to deal with it sometimes. And we can come before God and we can get a bit disgruntled. The children of Israel grumbled and complained. And we've got to get rid of those attitudes in our heart if we, if we want to carry the presence of God. If we want to be able to touch people. Jonah wanted God to be bad, not good. But God is good. Amen. Are you here? And Jonah 4 verse 5, so Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under. And he waited to see if anything would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him for the sun. And it eased some of his discomfort. And Jonah was grateful for the plant. What a good God. But in that moment of comfort, don't stop reading, God also prepared a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate all the way through the stem of the plant so that it soon died and withered away. The King James says, the plant, the gourd plant, is, it uses the word palm tree. It's like a palm tree. It provided shade for him. But God didn't want him to be too comfortable. God didn't want him to get in the place where he was no longer dealing with the issues in his life. And so God allowed worms to come. Sometimes there are storms that come in our life. Sometimes it's like the little worms, little foxes trying to spoil the vine. And why do these things happen? Because God's wanting to work in our heart and not wanting us to be too comfortable. And so when we go through the things in life, what is he wanting us to do? He's wanting us to grow. He's more interested in our character than our comfort. He's a good God. He doesn't do, allow those things to break us, but he allows them to make us. There are those in church that I've known and I've seen people and even those in ministry that after a while, what happened, after years and years, they get lazy in their Christianity. They even sometimes get bitter we live in a world where what people, the Bible is no longer alive to us. People even ask whether the Bible's allegory or is it the, the word of God. We come to a place where what prayer is no longer a part of our life. The least attended meetings in church and even in our church are prayer meetings. Our involvement in church is in a decline, and we see throughout the nation, people are not attending church. They're not a part. We, people come up with these things. Well, I'm a part of the church. I'm the church. I don't need to go to church. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling together with the saints, as many are doing in the last days. That's another sign it's the last days. People are not connected. Come on, you got to be with your family. you got to be with your tribe, because there's power and agreement. Are you here? 
bit with you. Well, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I can just walk with God my own. You're part of the body. You're one member. You know, recently there was a show that came on, I think Netflix or something about Monday, about the Adams family. It's like a knockoff. And they have the hand. And you have that little hand walking around. It's like cut off. And he's walking around. That's some Christians. It looks weird. Just walking around. Not, not connected to the body. We, we have people walk around like the headless horsemen. Because Jesus is the head. They're not following the head. They're not connecting the head. They don't know what you, they're bumping into walls, bumping into people. You know, we look at that, that's a monster. Every part of the body is important, but we've got to be connected. Don't be a body part connected from the body. Every body part's important. Well, look at me, look at me, I'm the hand. Yeah, but you need a foot. Come on, you need to have the hand to put some food in your mouth. <laughs> but you need the mouth. We need the eyes, we need the ears. Jesus is the head. He turns the body. We've got to be connected to the body. And so we, we have to, need to be involved in church. If we're honest, sometimes we can't remember the last time we've even shared our faith with anyone. And I want you to raise your hands. I'm not here to condemn it. But when's the last time we shared the good news with anyone at a coffee shop, at a, our workplace, at our school? Some of us, maybe, well, it was last week. Great. But also I'd say, when do we plan to share the gospel? Do you have a coffee appointment this week? Have you made an appointment to have dinner with someone? If we don't plan, we plan to fail. But, but again, it's not just of doing that out of compulsion because pastor said to do it. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? Are we moved with the heart of God? We need to get revived so we begin to move, be moved with the heart of compassion for people. Jesus was moved from, with compassion and miracles flowed out of that compassion. When we see the loss, we see the hurting, we're moved with compassion and the anointing flows out of that compassion. But unfortunately, like Jonah, many of us as believers were more concerned about our comfort and being comfortable. We become like the older brother in the, pod, or the prodigal that son story. He's resentful that God forgave the wayward brother. He's upset that the brother blew the money, went out, was with the prostitutes, went out with the pigs, and he's in the father's house. And when he comes back, the father's so excited that his lost son has come back. And he's resentful and he's bitter, like Jonah. In Luke 15, verse 28, are you still here? The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on horrors shows up and you go all out with a feast. And his father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that I have that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours, are, it was dead and he's alive. And he was lost, but now he's found. See, that's the heart of God. But sometimes we can be looking and we're, we're resentful. And even as we see the world prospering, we see things happening. And we, we forget what we already have. The context of this story were the Pharisees that were angry with Jesus because he was hanging out with sinners. They were angry with Jesus because he was healing and bringing good news and the, and the presence of God to people. And what was Jesus saying? You Pharisees are like the older brother. You need to change your heart. 
Which of the prodigals are we most like? The boy who realized that what he'd done and was wrong and returned to this father and he was just happy to be in the house? Or are we the self-righteous son or daughter who's more concerned with comfort than with transformation? God needs to move in our heart. Amen? Are you making plans to witness to someone this year? If not, why? Well, I don't know any non-believers. Get a life. Come on. There's lots of them out there. Go and connect. Be intentional. Get a gym membership. Go to the community center. Hang out after school. Make, it's, it's not difficult. Smile at the grocery store. You'll be amazed. Hang out at Starbucks. Don't just get your to-go order and take off. Meet some people. Open the door for someone. Talk. Don't pay at the pump. Pay inside. And talk to the person at the pump. There's so many creative ways we can do. What's really the issue? Not that there's not opportunity, but that we're not really urgent about creating opportunity. People say, well, I don't want to offend people. What about the opportunity of people who are looking for what we have? Are you here? It's not about us. It's about them. In Luke 15, verse 7, he said, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Eternal destinies are at stake. Heaven and hell is in the balance. And we can be more concerned with our comfort. So the Lord had to send a worm to eat Jonah's plant. Come on, I don't know about you, but I want to I wanna be quickly, let's go out and do it and come back to the palm tree. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my palm trees to be eaten by worms because God has to get me uncomfortable to get my attention. Are you here? God has spared thousands of lives and Jonah missed his shade. What this man did was uncomfortable. He put it all on the line and God blessed him. Come on, will we be a man, will we be a woman that will put it on the line? We've all been called to preach the gospel, but we got to make ourselves available. It, revival, it starts with us. We can have revival this week. We can have revival today. The Asbury revival is going on. It actually happened in 1970, and some of you might have followed the news. If not, you can Google it. But in Asbury, uh, in Kentucky, there's, an Asbury, there's, a, there's a college there. There was a revival that happened in 1970, and I put a picture of it. And people would come, and it was just very simple. It was a revival of worship. It was a revival of a prayer. People would come, and they would be convicted by the presence of God, and, and they would run to the altar, and, and they would begin to repent. 1970. Last week, I think it was on the 4th or the 5th of uh, February, a revival broke out, Ashbury Revival 2023, and you see the same thing happen where these, these college students came and as they begin to, to worship and they begin to pray, come on, their worship went up to heaven and God opened up a portal of heaven and the presence of God has, has come down in that place. People are heard about it and after a week they've got 24-hour worship that's been going on. It's been happening for more than seven days. I've got pastor friends, some have gone there and they said they stood in line for two and a half hours just to get in the room. But immediately when they got in the room, it wasn't amazing worship leaders, A-list worship leaders. There's no lights. 
the sound system isn't even that great. It's students playing, and sometimes they play wrong chords. Just heartfelt worship going up. But there's an open heaven in that place, and immediately people start weeping in the presence of God when they came into that place. Why? Because a, a body of students said, we want to see a move of God in our generation. Many are saying, are you going to go to Asbury? No, I'm not going to Asbury because nothing wrong with that. If you feel you want to go, but I'm not going to Kentucky. I like California. Yes. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. But why do we have to go all the way to Kentucky to have a move of God? Why can't we have one here? God is not a respecter of person. If my people who are called by my name will repent and humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and what? I will heal their land. I will bring down the water. Come on, I'll get rid of the worms and I'll begin to do it. It's not a, such a high professionalism. It's not even more than hearing the song leaders on the stage. It's the people crying out with a heart of worship. It's your breath. We pour out our praise because we want your presence. Are we hungry for a move of God? Pastor Susan and myself, we, we left the move of God. We were sent out from a move of God. We saw a church come from 20 people to 30,000 people. First time, first church convert, 76%. First time First church converts. Laying down their lives for God. Serving God while they're young. Move of God. They hit the schools all over the region. Planted churches all over the region. Bible school. All the things that God did. Why? Because of people that were hungry. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Let's not lose our spiritual hunger in the midst of pursuing promotion. In the midst of pursuing all the things of this world. Come on, those things, those things are great. It gives us influence for the kingdom, but we can't take that with us. The thing that we should desire the most is, God, show us your glory. God, it's your breath. It's your presence. God, we're hungry for a move. God, we're hungry for a revival. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift your voice. Begin to cry out to him.